Well, there was an older guy that always stood right outside the locker room right after you hit the sign. And we called him Pepper, the old Pepper, the old Pepper. He'd always <laughs> touch your hand and say, let's go, get one for the old Pepper. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. My guest today, Rick Meyer, he played 12 seasons in the NFL. Most people know him as the star quarterback at Notre Dame. He had a great record. He was a high school phenom, uh, had to choose between Notre Dame and Michigan. Uh, He was the number two pick in the 1993 NFL draft behind Drew Bledsoe. And now he owns Mirror Wine Company and a very successful wine business. So we'll talk to Rick coming up on today's show. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs. How are you? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, This is a fun time of year, I think, for sports fans, especially because you got the baseball playoffs, you know, and football is going crazy, and NBA starting, and NHL. It's fun. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, let's talk about MLB playoffs for a minute. If you're the czars of Major League Baseball and you could pick teams to put in the playoffs, I don't know that you could do much better than this year's playoffs. You've got, as of this recording... You know, teams from the big markets, Boston, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Houston. So you've got those big markets covered. You've got the iconic teams, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs in the playoffs. And you've got some stars, some household names that are in the playoffs. So, uh, and then the other thing that's amazing, first time ever, three teams from the American League won a hundred or more games. So you look at that American League and you're like, wow. I mean, that is stacked with the Astros, the Yankees, the Red Sox, all winning over 100 games. And then you've got, you know, the A's and the Indians who aren't slouches either. So it's going to be a really, it's one of those years, Griggs, you go into the playoffs and you go, anyone could win this thing. Like, there's no heavy favorite from either league, but it's going to be fun to watch, I think. Yeah, and it was also an interesting stat, too, that I heard. uh, It was the first time ever they have had two tiebreaker games to get into the wildcard game. And the funny thing, too, that uh, Milwaukee-Chicago game, they had the same identical records for home and away, too. Yeah. Like they're, they're like the, the mirror team. It's hilarious. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting too. Yeah. And the Brewers went in there and, and beat the Cubs. And as of this recording, uh, Cubs are going to be playing the Rockies in the wild card and the A's and Yankees are going to play in the wild card. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things progress. If you're Major League Baseball, you're probably rooting for the Cubs and the Yankees because you want those iconic teams in there and the Chicago and New York markets in there. But, uh, it is fun when you see, some of the smaller teams like the A's and the Rockies from those smaller markets being able to field a team that competes with the teams that have payrolls that are sometimes two or three times as big as theirs. Yeah, and the fun thing about baseball, too, is because the season's so long, you see teams like the A's were nothing back in the beginning of the year. Right. And then all of a sudden they ramp up, and hello, here they are. They're peaking at the right time. Dodgers peaking at the right time. So it's kind of fun to see, because the season's so long, you see these teams kind of grow throughout the year, and then the ones that fall away and the ones that peak, 
And here we are. Well, the crazy thing is the Brewers were five games behind the Cubs on, I think, September 3rd. Yeah. They go 19 and 8 to finish the year. They win eight in a row. They beat the Cubs in that wild card playoff. They finish with the best record in the entire National League. So your point is well made. Sometimes you get hot at the right time and, you know, you didn't look like you were going to get into the playoffs, but for the A's and the Rockies and the Brewers, you, you find your way in. Uh, who do you like in the playoffs? Yeah, I was trying to think about that on the way in this morning. Uh, I mean, Milwaukee looks phenomenal right now, but I still think the A's have some fun in them. So I'm, I'm thinking, I think the A's might go a ways, and I think I'd be cool if Milwaukee did. That's my, I kind of like the out, out of market teams that rather would, than the big teams. That would be a nightmare for Major League no, Baseball. No, I know. An A's Milwaukee series. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the, some of the ones that aren't always there, but I know it's bad for baseball, but I do like the underdogs. Yeah. I'll tell you, the Red Sox, obviously had a historic season. They won more games than they've ever won in any regular season that they've played. But I'll tell you, the Indians, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people aren't talking about the Indians, and I'd watch out for them. Yeah. So we'll see. Like we said, any one of these teams could get hot, right. and there's no favorite. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see who puts it together during the month of October, which players make a name for themselves during the month of October. And frankly... How baseball promotes it. I mean, that's one, it's been a knock against baseball that you don't know, you don't really know Mike Trout. You don't right. really know some of the stars of baseball. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, Christian Yelich, who's emerged. He was playing in Miami last year and it looks like he might be the MVP of the National League. Yeah. Who are these guys other than guys that you see on the baseball field? Do we know anything about them? Can baseball do a better job of introducing us to them like, say, NBA players or NFL players who we seem to know more about than we do baseball players. Yeah, and the thing with baseball, too, is people like the stories. You know, That's how baseball is. Even play-by-play, you're talking about stories of these guys. So I think you're right. I think developing the stories, getting to know the personalities, these people that are becoming stars right in front of our eyes, it is cool to develop these stories. And I think you're right. Baseball has a great opportunity because there is that opportunity and time to talk about these guys and, and build the relationships. Uh, the other news of the week, Ryder Cup took place last weekend. Griggs, what a route. <laughs> Team Europe put a hurtin' on Team USA. Uh, Tiger and Phil go a combined 0-6 in Ryder Cup. Uh, Francisco Molinari goes 5-0. and And, you know, my takeaway, I've watched Ryder Cup for years. I, I'm a golf guy. Team Europe just seems to want this every year more than Team USA. Team USA, it's like, like, hey, let's get together with our team and our wives and girlfriends and take some pictures and, and, you know, we'll play golf for the weekend. But they don't have the passion behind it that Team Europe does. I mean, you see some of these guys from Team Europe win and they're, they're crying. They're bawling. It's like they're Super Bowl. And I think... That has a lot to do with it because they just know how to turn it on during these Ryder Cups and President's Cups. And anytime it's international competition, Europe seems to own America. I think you're right. I think you said it right. I think the U.S. team feels like it's kind of the, the tour's over. It's kind of like, oh, let's go hang out with our buddies and hit, hit some sticks. And you're right. Euro comes in there. I mean, some of their celebrations after were hilarious going oh into God. the crowd and hugging yeah. everybody and stuff. Well, and if you don't follow Ryder Cup Europe on Twitter and see some of the videos that they yeah. posted... <laughs> It is hysterical, and they did some big trolling of uh, Team USA on there. But <laughs> those guys have personalities. Yeah. You know, Tiger and Phil, again, the knock on them for a long time is until recently, we haven't really gotten to know them. Right. With Team Europe, like, 
you know, Tommy Fleetwood and Molinari and Rory McElroy and some of these guys, you can see like they've got Ian Poulter. They've got personalities and you can easily engage with them. And it goes back to what we just said about Major League Baseball. Fans like athletes that they can identify with or that they know a little bit about their personality. And I feel like with Team Europe, you just know that more uh, than with Team USA. It's going to be interesting. Look, if you're Tiger Woods, he won the last FedEx Cup event. It was his first win in a long time. We talked about that last week. It's got to be draining. Then you fly to Paris, you get there, and you're expected to perform on the big stage. He was probably exhausted. He was yeah. probably drained. You're not making excuses for him. But, gosh, uh, he's just not done well historically in Ryder Cup or President's Cup over the years. And and neither is Phil Mickelson. And it's interesting because when you are listing some of the great golfers of all time on American soil, Tiger and Phil are on that list. But when it comes to match play, they're not very good, Griggs. Yeah, no. I mean, Tiger, what he got 0 for 4, I think, in the Ryder. I didn't. He didn't win one. Uh, no. One of them. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I think they kind of die off in the uh, in the writer, which is weird. I think it might go back to what we were talking about. Like they just don't have the passion for it. I think they kind of just they want to win, maybe, but not really as much as these Euros do, where they come in to play and they come in and destroy us. All right. Before we get into our interview with Rick Meyer, I uh, just want to remind you that the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo is coming up on October 22nd. We're heading to Miami. I'm going to sit down with. Miami Dolphins president Tom Garfinkel at Hard Rock Stadium, which, by the way, is going to host Super Bowl. Uh, I'm not sure what number it is. 53, I think. Yeah, but it's in yeah. 2020. Um, so in 54, then. Yeah, and it's a great stadium. And, and the Dolphins, uh, as we record this, are, are I think, two, three and one. Three and one. So they lost to the Patriots, but uh, they've played well so far this season. So always interesting to uh, talk to presidents who run NFL teams, and Tom Garfinkel has worked for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's worked in IndyCar. He's got a really interesting background. If you're in the Miami area and you're a college student and you want to join us at the road show, we might be able to find a spot for you. Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Drop me a note if you want to join us, and we can try and find a seat in the exclusive studio audience for you. We're going to record my conversation with Tom Garfinkel, and we'll Air it on that week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Thank you to Boingo for presenting the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. All right, coming up next, Rick Meyer played 12 seasons in the NFL, was the second pick in the 1993 draft by the Seahawks, and starred at Notre Dame. He also owns the Mirror Wine Company. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. 
Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Rick Meyer. He played for 12 seasons in the NFL. He starred at Notre Dame. He had a 29-7-1 record, including three bowl games. He was selected with the second pick in the 1993 NFL draft by the Seattle Seahawks. He owns the Mirror Wine Company in Napa Valley. You can find him on Twitter, at Rick Meyer. And you can find Mirror Wine on Twitter, at Mirror Wine. Rick, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. So I grew up a Notre Dame fan, and I followed your career closely. I want to start with that, because you grow up in Indiana. You start at Goshen High School. I think your senior year, you had 3,973 yards passing, 30 touchdowns. But growing up in Indiana, playing football, was it your dream to go to Notre Dame? You know, a lot of people think so. Um, but I really wanted to go to Michigan as a kid. That, that was who I was a fan of, my dad kind of had me brainwashed a little bit because he's from <laughs> Ypsilanti and went to Eastern Michigan and uh, just a huge Bo Schimbeckler fan and and uh, kind of even Harbaugh was playing you know when I was in high school and um, but as things played out I had uh, I had other options and uh, it was a tough decision I had to say no to Michigan but uh, Notre Dame was pretty obvious uh, being 30 miles away and it worked out great. Give us a sense for what it's like to run out that tunnel at Notre Dame. Most of us have seen the movie Rudy, and we've watched a lot of Notre Dame football, but you got to experience that. What was that like? I mean, there's a lot of great stadiums that have a lot of tradition, but that's just sort of um, maybe the most special, I think. Uh, I still get chills walking down the tunnel. just did it a few weeks ago. Um, it's a thrill, you know, and I think the kids that get a chance to do it are lucky. I, I think when you visit, you know, as a recruit, you, you sense that you can you can see how special it is. You've seen it on TV. Um, it's not gigantic or anything. It's just a kind of a, just a little corridor leading you down to the field, and um, it's just that when the band's playing and the, the game's about to start. I mean, that's that's as good as it gets in college football. We see the tap the play like a champion sign on the way out to the field. Are there any other Notre Dame traditions that only you players know about that uh, you could share with us? Well, there was an older guy that always stood right outside the locker room right after he hit the sign. He, we called him Pepper, the old Pepper, the old Pepper. He'd always touch your <laughs> hand and say, let's go get one for the old Pepper. And, and uh, he hasn't been there for years. Uh, he was an old enough guy when, back in my time, but all the guys in my era would say the old Pepper was – was as, as dependable as anybody, and uh, that that was something that probably was not on TV. But um, yeah, when I, I literally walked down that tunnel a couple weeks ago, I'm thinking, "Damn, I just missed Bill Pepper because he was here every time we did it." That's so cool. How how great is that? You played for Lou Holtz. What was that like? And and what were some of the lessons that uh, you may have taken away from what he taught you? Well, it was uh, pretty demanding if you're the quarterback. Um, I think that's obvious. Um, the responsibilities were huge. Uh, I was lucky to be on really good teams and, and have a high expectation. So he put a lot of pressure on me, put pressure on Tony Rice, uh, Kevin McDougal, the guys in my time, Ron Pollock. But um, we, we had to be accountable every day, every single day. And it's you have commitments with the media. You have you know, obviously your school stuff. Um, a lot of us were captains. Um, he made us, um, you know, prepare and, and conduct ourselves like professionals at a young age and, and do it every day. So, um, you know, it's, it's not the easiest thing to do, but it was part of the, it was part of what went with the territory and, and what the job required. And, um, 
you know, I've always thanked him for that because um, he had to convince us it was the right thing, but it, it pays off later in life when you're, when you're used to doing it right. How difficult is it? Because you're right, you're going, you're a student athlete, you're going to a really tough school at Notre Dame, tough academic institution, but then you have all these football commitments too. That had to have been pretty tough to juggle those two things. Yeah, I mean, the rules are different now too, but um, we had an obligation to address the media and he had press conferences and things with the other, you know, other schools, uh, media before the games and, and, you're trying to get all your school stuff and stay on top of that as well. So um, tough academic place, getting tougher every day. It seems like I'm, I'm watching as a parent now. It's hard, um, but uh, you have to manage your time, and that's a, that's a huge, you know, part of preparing for life. And um, you know, the guys that wind up in South Bend uh, need to know what they're getting into, and uh, I think a lot of them do, and, and that's why it works out for them. You have three sons, right? I do. Yeah, and the oldest is at uh, Notre Dame now. Wow, and and how is do they play football? Are they what path are they taking? Oh, they all have played football, um, and in in high school and stuff. Uh, my oldest is uh, playing lacrosse at Notre Dame, and my middle one is committed to Michigan for lacrosse. <laughs> so uh, they'll go against each other if things play out like they should. And um, you know, our youngest is a freshman in high school, and he's playing quarterback. So I, I don't know how that will go, um, but he sure likes it now, and uh, he may be the one that sticks with football, but but we'll see. I'm proud of all of them. Now, that's tremendous, and, and congratulations to you. And, gosh, Notre Dame and Michigan, that's pretty pretty good schools to uh, ha- attend and, and have your kids attend. Do you, was there ever any worry for you? Obviously, you said they've all played football. You have one who's playing football right now. You know, you see all this stuff today with uh, – the concussions and things like that. As a parent, was there ever any hesitation from you to say, "Hey, my kids are okay to play football"? Um, you know, I'm I'm far more concerned about it as a parent than I was as a player. I mean, just watching football looks looks dangerous now. I, I never felt like that when I was playing, and and you just kind of, I guess, you get used to it. But um, it is a little maybe faster now and and slightly more violent, but. Um, I'm concerned, like all parents would be, about the contact and some of the stuff. I think it's important that teams practice the right way and understand how to work together. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of time on the practice field, and the games are limited. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I've been lucky. I mean, my kids have been healthy, and, and they they play hard, and um, you know, they're having fun with it. But um, yeah, we all we all need to be concerned about the safety part, and, and uh, I'm, I'm paying close attention to what the helmets are doing and some of the technology there, and um, hoping we can make some some improvements to eliminate some of these concerns. And you seem to be in good health post career. You played at Notre Dame. You played 12 seasons in the NFL. How are you feeling? I got aches and pains. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's but that's uh, that, that's part of the aging process as well. But um, you know, I know a lot of guys that, that are really banged up, and um, I think the concussion thing really uh, in the last few years has gotten most of the spotlight. Uh, there are a lot of knees and ankles and hips and shoulders and things that, that are also uh, real and, and need to be dealt with, but. Um, recently in the news, there's talk of, you know, things with the new CBA, some stuff with some re- retired players, maybe benefit wise and health insurance and things that really, you know, when you're in those meetings and, and as a 20 year old, you don't really even understand it. You're, you're not, it's not that big of a deal. But as you get older, 
um, you look back and you go, man, these things are coming, and uh, I hope <laughs> hope I can handle it. But all in all, I feel good. Um, I feel I feel lucky, and maybe that's somewhat when you're not the starter and you're, and you're the backup for some of those years, you, you, you really do save your body a little bit, too. Yeah, no, I would imagine. You were drafted number two by the Seahawks, 1993, one spot behind Drew Bledsoe. Uh, it's so different now. The draft is on TV. All the rounds are televised. You didn't even go to the draft in 93, did you? No, no, and uh, could have. Uh, I think the expectation was that I was going to go, but it's just such a different deal today. Um, you know, it's a made-for-TV thing, and I get it. The fans are super into it. It's it's kind of a 12-month, you know, they try to make football a 12-month thing, and um, I just felt like, for, for me and my family, I just wanted to be with my closest friends and, and family on that particular day, and um, you know, if, if I was getting drafted this year, I'd probably do it differently, but uh, that's just how it was then. What was the biggest adjustment for you going from Notre Dame to the Seahawks in the NFL? I, I would say the winning mentality that we had in college versus the you're going to work mentality that, that was there in Seattle on a 2-14 on a and 14 team. Um, didn't you know? Wasn't an organization that had a lot of tradition or, or success. Um, trying to figure it out, you know, it's changed. You know, they've they've had success and ownership's different and stuff now. But um, you know, it was weird to go to the Coliseum and play the Raiders and have to be half full. I mean, it was just strange uh, compared to the the energy around all of our college games. So it's a little deflating, you know, when you when you. I'm not going to say there was a losing mentality, but the expectation to win wasn't the same at all as what I was used to. And that takes some getting used to. It's a long season. Uh, mentally, it's, you know, a long process. Um, but, you know, you go. everybody goes into the season hoping for the best. Um, and for some squads, you're, you know, halfway through and you've won a couple times and you're really already thinking about the off season. So, I never got used to that. I didn't like that. Uh, I like to be on better teams, obviously, and um, you know it's the luck of the draw a little bit with some of the the way you start. But once you're free agent, you have choices and you can move around. Uh, you can pick and choose a little bit. Then, then it's really up to you. Is there anything you look back on and you're like, I wish I had done that differently? No. Um, you know, I was I started all 16 games as a rookie, and I was proud of that. Uh, it's probably not the exact best way to go about it, but it was what we needed to do. Um, it'd be nice to have learned a little bit more behind someone, and I see situations where, you know, like an Aaron Rodgers, uh, they hated not playing, but I'm telling you, long term is, you know, it's why he is playing the way he is now. I think um, to, to be comfortable when you step on that first time and start. Um, I just didn't have the luxury of that being the case, so I, I couldn't control that anyway. Uh, I played hard when I got to play, and you know, seven different teams was a lot of different coaches and, and a lot of different cities. But it was all it was all worth it, you know. I mean, I had an unbelievable experience, uh, highs and lows, and um, you know, that that was just the way it was going to go for for my teams. But uh, I don't have any regrets. Rick, I look at the game now and how it's changed so much. I mean, for instance, at Notre Dame, you were able to hand off to Jerome Bettis and, and obviously had a great running back in the backfield with you. Now, the career span for running backs in the NFL, I think it's like 3.3 years. 
the quarterback position has become just a focal point of most of these offenses. And I'm looking at some of these young quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold that are being thrown in right away like you were. How is that? Is it good or bad for them to be thrown in this early in this era? You know, I think they're more prepared going in. Um, there's a lot of quarterback education that, that didn't used to exist that does now. Um, these kids are pretty polished at the position and, and played in college systems that prepared them for this type of ball. But it's a passing-driven league, and the rules are going to even reflect that. They're protecting these guys differently. Um, you know, it's a big business, and then the television stuff is huge, and fantasy and all the things have really, really, you know, gotten more serious um, and, and more engaging for the fans. So, is it good for them to play? I mean, they're they're, they're more ready than I was just because of the systems they've been a part of and and, and some of the you know things that they're doing now. But um, time will tell. You know, they, there's not a lot of patience. So, uh, if you play and you don't play well. Um, they move you on, and, and whether you get a shot somewhere else, you, you got to earn it somewhere else. And uh, it's fun to watch these guys. I'm, I'm, you know, I watch a lot of football, and I and I pay attention. Um, but it's going to work out for some, and for some, it's not. And that's just the way it's going to go. I probably like watching Pat Mahomes as much as anyone right now. There's a lot of great quarterbacks in the NFL, but who do you enjoy watching? You know, I knew nothing about that kid, probably like a lot of people, um, until he's gotten to play. But Andy Reid is one of the greatest people coaching football ever, and that's that's got a lot to do with how this kid is succeeding because he's in a he's in an environment where he's comfortable. And um, even though there's chaos and there's there's uncomfortable downs and distances, he's prepared. And and I know how Andy does it. Um, that's that's a pretty he's in a pretty good spot. And he's of course he's talented. Everybody can see that, but. Um, that kid's exciting, and that team's exciting, and, and um, there's just a lot of energy. When you can let a productive guy leave and take a chance on a young guy, you better have some confidence in them, and, and they know what they're doing there. Well, and to your point that you made a few minutes ago, they let him sit and watch Alex Smith, and they let him learn the system. They didn't just throw him in on day one, and now you can tell that after learning the system, he seems to be much more comfortable. Yeah, I think it'll he'll come down to earth here at some point. I mean, you don't throw four or five touchdowns forever, uh, you know, on a, every Sunday. But um, yeah, there there was uh, a season to learn and behind a true pro, preparing like you're going to start, and uh, that's a pretty good formula. I, I, I would imagine teams that could copy that do, um, but you don't always have the luxury. I mean, I watched the 49ers pretty close right now because. Uh, John Lynch is one of my best buddies, and, and you know sometimes the guy you got all your you know uh, hopes on gets hurt, and, and you got to turn to the next guy. So um, yeah, the injury thing is definitely scary. But um, when healthy, there's a lot of a lot of great talent, a lot of young guys that are going to be fine. Uh, I just hope they can stay healthy, and that's I think why the rules are kind of going the way they are to protect everybody the best they can. So you retired in 2004, and shortly thereafter, you started Mirror Wine Company in Napa Valley. First, I want to ask you about at what point when you were at Notre Dame or when you were playing in the NFL did you say, you know what, 
I need to start paying attention and focusing on my career post NFL because Rick, there's a lot of athletes they don't start thinking about that until after they've hung up their cleats and then they go, "What now?" When did you start thinking about the business side of your life? Well, it was later than I'd like to admit because I just didn't know what I would want to do and, and how big my family was going to be and how long I was going to play and all those things. But um, I've made it you know a priority to be a a dad that's at all the games and all the practices. And I coached a lot of those years, the younger years. Um, so I, I really didn't want to miss any of that. You know, coaching would have been something I think I'd have been really good at. Um, but you don't see your family enough in, for me. So I, I, I didn't do the obvious, you know, following football and, and coach. So um, business, you know, was it, wine was interesting to me. Uh, I studied marketing. This, this is a huge marketing exercise, as it turns out. This is a network. This is, uh, you know, basically trying to get the wine in front of the, the right people. Um, but it came, it came together late. I mean, it came together after when I when I kind of had been home a little, you know, a couple of years, and I'm like, I, you know, I really need something to do that I'd enjoy. And I, I learned a lot about wine when I was in the Bay Area with the Niners and Raiders and uh, with the Raiders, you know, our training camp is right in Napa, and then they have one more year there. And um, I, you know, I just met enough people to know some, to ask some questions and, and, and kind of get a few introductions. And basically, one thing led to another, and um, we've just been off and running. And it's you know, you blink your eyes, and ten years go by. So uh, the things developed. Um, we've had to, I've had to learn a ton on the fly, but uh, it, it's been a great experience. And um, you know, there's positive things happening all the time, and it's just fun to spread the word. I know a lot of people mispronounce your last name, and then I see Mirror Wine Company, and I just I kind of chuckled because obviously it's Rick Meyer, but this is Mirror Wine Company. There's got to be another reason for the name. Can you explain that? Well, at the beginning, there 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 were two vineyards that we sourced uh, Cabernet from that literally mirrored each other across the valley across. Hmm. Uh, Highway 29 and Silverado Trail uh, up in St. Helena. So at the very beginning stages, it was the Mirror Vineyard Project um, kind of just by inner talkings with, the, with my partners, and um, it just felt it just felt right, you know, Meyer Mirror. It was ironic, but it, it, that's, that's where the mirror came from. So I, I didn't need my name on the front. I didn't need it to be about me, and I, I don't. I didn't need it to be about football or anything other than good wine. So it, it's its own thing. Um, you know, the, the the vineyards that we use for those early years uh, is, is why it's mirror, and, and it's just been a fun word to work with, and, and we're proud of what we've turned it into. Now, like you said, you have to meet the right people because you have to really trust the experts on this, and that's a big thing for athletes, too. I would imagine... You know, you have so many people coming at you over the course of your career with invest in this and team with us on that. How do you build that trust and, and find the right people in business? Well, I think um, at some point you have to take a leap of faith. I mean, that you can do your research and you can rely on opinions and some data, but um, sometimes you need to go with your gut and. I've been lucky. Not everything's been easy, but um, for the most part, I mean, I'm 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 involved on a daily basis. So I see everything. Uh, I see more today than I did a few years ago with some changes we've made and a couple internal things. But um, I, you know, I wanted to be 
involved. And uh, sometimes if you invest in a different type of thing, you just sit back and, and see what happens. But this is this is very hands-on for me. And, and again, it's it's um, it's building a brand, and it's, I want to represent myself and, and us. Um, I think there's times where someone else can do that, but but in a lot of cases, I'm the one that's there, or we don't do the, the event. And uh, I, I don't know. You, you know, you can't always find everything out about everybody, but um, when your gut's telling you, uh, you know, there's there's someone to trust. I think that's that's just an instinct. Um, but yeah, we're we're protective and we're uh, we do our research and our homework before we commit to things that that could hurt us. And uh, you know, a lot of guys get taken advantage of, and, and that's that's sadly the case in, in a bunch of situations. But um, I, I'm by by nature very conservative, and we've gone through things methodically and try to be as safe as we can uh, in a lot of different deals. So you say you're very involved on a day-to-day basis. Give our listeners an example of a typical day for you as the the head of Mirror Wine Company. <laughs> uh, well, I'm already fielding a few emails this morning from people I've met in the last few days, um, a couple charity events, and you know, people that own restaurants or have connections to restaurants, just connecting the dots, getting our salespeople talking to the right people. Uh, and we're going to release our, our 15 Cabernet today. With that email, should be going out. It may have since we've been speaking. So we're, you know, working on some details with um, our team on some of the verbiage of how how we're explaining what we have to offer. And um, as the day goes on, there there'll be other things that come up. We're working with several states, different distributors. Um, it's, there's a lot of different types of deals. You know, some of it's a lot of wine stays in California and. Fair amount gets sent to people who order from our website, and then there's all these states across the country where we're shipping on trucks, you know, a, a limited amount of what we have available to try to get into the right restaurants in New York or in Boston and uh, or in Florida. So um, there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, this is exciting time of year. The harvest, you know, six weeks or so is there's so much energy in Napa. Um, there's a lot of momentum because of the holidays that are coming up, especially starting with Thanksgiving. And, you know, we're just preparing and trying to reach out to people and have enough time to plan and ship and, you know, whether it's gifts for holidays or just these restaurants that are stocking up now, uh, because it's kind of Cabernet season. So it, it's not the same ever, but, but there's, there's action every day. And I check my phone first thing and it's like, it's amazing what's already in the works from the East Coast a lot of days. Uh, and questions to answer and things to stay up on and um, all the while looking for new business and looking to, you know, answer questions and keep people satisfied. You can go to mirrorwine.com to learn more about Mirror Wine Company. Uh, will we ever see you out there stomping grapes? Is that something in your in your arsenal? You won't you won't see that. No. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. There's better equipment these days, but um, I will be in uh, I will be in Napa shortly uh, for some other things around harvest. But, um, you know, thankfully this year with the fire situations under control compared to this time a year ago. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, for, yeah, it was really rough and terrible for Sonoma. But, you know, the business is just shut down and uh, it was supposed to be the busiest time of the year. So we got our fingers crossed and um, we're excited about, you know, the kind of crop that we're getting and, and, and um, gearing up for, you know, bottling some new stuff down the road. 
One of the ironic parts of you starting a wine company is Drew Bledsoe was taking one spot in front of you. You were linked for years. But now you both have wine companies. Do you ever talk to Drew about wine? All the time, yeah. We, we, were, we, were, we compete in a lot of different arenas, but uh, we, we help each other the best we can. I mean, he's from Walla Walla, Washington, which has really exploded, and he's, he's helped it explode in the last handful of years. But um, we, we talked about doing something together. Uh, we traded a lot of wine. We tried to one-up each other with certain things that were hard to get, and you know, we'd send each other surprise you know, bottles of this and that. Um, and, and, it, and really, I mean... We kind of had the same passion, and, and, and he played a couple of extra years. But we started about the same time and, and talked about doing something together with Damon Heward and Dan Marino also, the four of us. And it was just too many too many Chiefs and not enough Indians, I think. And um, we all wound up with projects, and, and it's fun to bounce them off each other. And, and you know, Charles Woodson's another one. Uh, when we were at the Raiders, he he was just learning about wine, and and uh, we spent time talking about different things and different people. And um, but you know, some guys are more involved than others. Drew is totally you know on a daily basis uh, involved, and they have a big facility now and the property, and um, that's something we haven't taken on. And and you know, when that time comes, he'd be a great resource and someone I could completely trust. So. Um, as much as we kid each other about competing, I mean, we really help each other the way, the, in ways we can. Um, sometimes there's fun events or, or ways we can pair this stuff together and, and uh, try not to make it too football, you know, oriented. But it is interesting to people, I think, uh, especially when you get into this time of year. And, you know, we'll see. We talk about Super Bowl stuff and different things down the stretch. But um, not, he's, he's got to be proud of what he's done. That thing's amazing and, and the wines are great. Um, we're trying to do the same thing. We're just a little, little more handicapped in California than than they are. But um, yeah, we that it, it's ironic that we're both we're both kind of living the same life right now. So I'm based in Oregon. I'm closer to him than to probably to Napa. Um, but mm-hmm. it's interesting how this part of the country, California, Oregon, Washington has really become wine country. It used to just be Northern California, but now it's really extended into Oregon and Washington. For people who don't really understand the wine business, explain like the climate and the environment that's needed to have a good vineyard. Yeah, I mean, different parts. I mean, there's grapes being grown everywhere. There's a lot in Texas and in Michigan and Long Island. I mean, places that you don't think about. I mean, Arizona. But um, there are little pockets that have the perfect you know, hot enough days, cool enough nights, the soils, some topography, you know, enough water. Um, in Napa is an obvious one, but, you know, Paso Robles is an area that's exploded. Um, Walla Walla happens to be perfect for certain varietals, not all, but certain things thrive there. Um, coastal up by you, you know, Pino is the, is the, is all over the Willamette Valley and, Perfectly because of the temperatures and the some of the coastal climate and fog and, and cool and um, you know we we focus on what we do best in Napa and that's Cabernet and there's a, there's some Chardonnay as well um, but you know you go to France it's a little different there you go to Australia it's a little different there but the one thing that's consistent is the soils have to be right to grow the vines and stress them and uh, make them 
kind of reach for water. And um, in the end, you, you get some mature vines that produce great grapes. And from there, you know, the, the process of making the wine could, could happen anywhere. But the, gr- the growing part, it, you need to have the right climate. And um, that's why I picked Napa. Uh, I live in California, too. But it's, it's, uh, we don't have to worry about being able to grow grapes. Um, that we can do. Uh, the rest of it is, is where I jump in and, uh, it's, um, you know, it's been, it's been fun to put our name on something that says Napa Valley because we're really proud of Napa. Now that's great. So you're still a young guy besides mirror wine company. Is there anything you look at and you go, I still want to do this as a business person or just in my life? Oh gosh, there's all kinds of things that with the, you know my boys' schedules and some of their I, I'm, I'm chasing their games and, and it's fun to be the dad. But um, you know we do a lot of charity things through our foundation and, and, and the, the wine benefits some some events and there's a lot of ways we can tie the two together. That that's been interesting to kind of grow the foundation as well. Um, we're proud of you know some of the scholarship stuff we've created and a lot of the schools and churches and boys and girls clubs and, and uh, make a wish and the things we can support on a yearly basis. So, you know, as the wine business gets better and better, that we can do more to help other people from back home in Indiana, but also, you know, where we are now and a lot of other places, um, we get asked to help a lot of with wine for a lot of things. We can't do them all, but the ones we can, um, we're, we're pretty selective if it uh, syncs up with what we're doing to try to help kids and health and education areas, um, it, it's a it's a rewarding feeling to get the thank yous from the people who are on the receiving end of something something very positive, and um, that's that's just us trying to do our part. But uh, beyond that, you know, there's a lot of things that come up, and, and uh, interests probably change over the years, but. Uh, I'm going to be the dad at the games as long as I can, and then uh, I'll turn the page to something else when that time comes. Now, I tip my hat to you. I have a daughter, and I never miss any of her things. And You have three kids, and you sounds like you don't miss any of their events. So, you know, I learned – I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers, and I learned early on that, uh, you know, family is the most important. And uh, I think it's really cool that you're there for your sons. I'm sure they appreciate your wisdom and, and – your guidance and expertise and just your support. So kudos to you for wearing a, the dad hat the right way. Um, so we know that mirrorwine.com is where people can find out information about your winery and the different kinds of wine that you have. I know you have the family foundation that you just referenced. What if people want to find out more about that? Yeah, that's, uh, there's a link on the website, the Mirror website, which just got redone and relaunched. So the Mirror site's different than it was a week ago. Um, the foundation site is in the works as well, but that's MeyerFamilyFoundation.org. Um, but I think from Mirror is probably the simplest way to find it. And, um, uh, you know, both are evolving and, and changing, and um, we're trying to do our best to stay up with you know, the opportunities we, that we get, but, uh, it's a never ending thing. And, and, uh, it's exciting. Like I said, this time of year, there's, there's a ton of stuff happening. So, um, all the information's on, uh, mirrorwine.com. Well, I'm going to try it. I I've tried Drew's. I'm definitely going to try a bottle of your wine and, uh, I'm sure it'll be really good. Again, Rick Meyer played 12 seasons in the NFL, starred at Notre Dame, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Rick Meyer, and you can fi- follow uh, Mirror Wine at Mirror Wine. And again, 
mirrorwine.com. Rick, thanks so much for taking the time. It's, it's funny. Uh, we follow each other on Twitter, and this is one of the cool things about Twitter is you can connect with people that you might not otherwise connect with. And uh, I have followed your story for a long time, and congratulations on all your success. Hi, thank you very much. I appreciate you reaching out, and good luck to you. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmer. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon Chris Everett. He was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show... Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA Draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new Sports Business Radio intern. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio we're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.